This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Uh, there's a ton of stuff to get into. Kevin Johns uh, from Duke will join us, talk a little offensive football. John Rosinski from uh, Virginia. How do you fix the Virginia defense? Well, John, tag your it. That's what you're getting paid to do. We'll see how that works out. Both those gentlemen will be joining us later this hour. All right, uh, you and I both had a conversation earlier regarding transfer portal, name, image, and likeness. Um, we could probably do a combination of both here because I do think in some respects, while there's separate issues there is some overlap here with both. Would you not agree? There's no question there, there's, there's overlap because now what we've done with NIL is we've added the free agency financial component to the transfer portal. Right. Right. And, and so. Ask Jordan Addison. Ask Jordan Addison. And because all programs aren't created equal, now all of a sudden. And, and this is where, you know, we start talking about name, image, and likeness. And you have all these people going, well, tampering is going to occur yeah no kidding yeah really you didn't see that one coming That's what pat narduzzi was screaming to the high heavens about uh, and course. nobody was really paying attention and he tried to remind everybody well not only that i mean you go back to what six eight ten twelve fifteen months ago and you know Davos sweeney was speaking of that no doubt because and people were mocking him i'm like hey you know what they're all living in this world they know exactly what's going to happen exactly right. and that's to me with the name image and likeness and all this and that when when we come up with with ways to traffic this, manage it, this and that, there never seems to be the people that are actually making a living in this profession involved in the discussion of how to organize it. It makes no sense. Be, they would be the first group you'd ask. You would think. I mean, hey, you're on the front line. You got a front row seat. You're yeah. living it every day. What are the pitfalls? What would we need to do? Yeah. How should we structure this? Right. And and again, everybody's going to have their own agendas. Everybody's going to have their own biases and this and that. But at least when an individual, it, 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 it could have been uh, Tony Elliott, a first year coach at Virginia. It could be Gary Patterson, who's done it forever. And you go in and you say, where do we start? All right. What are the priorities and this and that? You get them all in a room and you start to navigate and, and put this thing together and try and figure out a way to make it as equitable as possible. It will never be equal across the board. College athletics has never been equal across the board. It never will be when it comes to resources and the stature of the program. But you could have a uniform, uniform set of standards. I mean, the NFL's got it. I mean, the NFL has collective bargaining and they have a window in which free agency can occur and you have salary cap. Of course, they also have employees. They also have employees. And you and I were talking in the break and we were talking about how do you get some reins on this thing and 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 get it pointed in the right direction. Do you think that's the angle? Do you think that's I what think it's college the sports only has to thing, do? It's the only path you go down where you stay out of court. That's the problem in all this, because the moment you start throwing out rules and regulations, the first blowback is going to be from everybody. Well, you can't you can't do that. You're restricting my ability to earn. Yeah, but we're in such a litigious society that I, I think no matter what you do, you're going to go to court. I, I, I think it's reached the point now that, I mean, listen, if, if somebody says hello to the wrong person yeah. the, the wrong way, I'm taking you to court. It's gotten to the point of absurdity, yeah, well, quite sure. frankly. But this is obviously much more serious than saying hello to somebody on the street. Mm -hmm. um, I, I cringe when I think of student athletes as employees. Mm -hmm. And I say that as a fan, 
right? Not right. as somebody that has a job right. in college athletics. I say that now as a guy sitting on the couch watching you on Saturdays mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. I think if we reach the point that student athletes are employees, the term college sports is over. Mm-hmm. It's done. Yeah. Now, it still doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Still doesn't mean you won't sit there and say, hey, I'm going to go to the fill in the blank game this weekend. I can't wait to tailgate and have a great time and all that stuff. But whatever but, purity was left is now gone. What And then some if folks may say packets already reached that point, yeah. even without employee. You may be 100% right. Yeah. But that, to me, would be the official stake in the heart, is if all of a sudden a student athlete is an employee. Now, it doesn't mean that can't happen, because it could very well t- turn out be right. the solution. But I, I think as we know it, that is a that is a game changer forever. Well, you know, and for those of you listening on radio, if you look at the lower third graphic, uh, as we're seeing it here, it says, how would you change NIL rules to make college football better? You can't change any NIL rules because it's going to lead to a lawsuit because they didn't start it with any rules. And the NCAA is so afraid to do that because every time they've decided to get in the court of law, yeah. they've gotten pummeled. Whether it be the Supreme Court or anywhere else. Well, remember, remember a few. They've years, almost become gun shy in well, some respects. Well, sure. And remember a few years ago, before we had the one-time transfer rule, and you had all of these kids applying for waivers. Did you notice that the ones that lawyered up all got the waiver, and the ones that didn't didn't? Yeah. Because the NCAA didn't want to deal with it. That's right. All right. And so now you say, okay, well, we're just going to give everybody a one-time transfer, and we're not going to regulate that either. We're not going to have any blueprint on how to navigate that either. They weren't prepared for that. So between that and and NIL and and you know. People mock Lane Kiffin for the comments that he had made. He's you know, a couple spot of on. He's one hundred percent right, and I can I can tell you that off of the comments I made in our last hour in, in relationship to conversations with coaches. There, he said. Not, and by the way, for folks that don't know what yeah. he said, he basically said it's got nothing to do with the size of your stadium, all the the perky yeah. stuff. It's all got to do with, with cold money. hard cash. Yeah, it's money. Yeah. yeah, it's money, and. And again, if if that's what if that's the path that we're going down, and there are going to be no rules, then we have to decide what's the lesser of two evils: making them employees and actually having rules that everybody has to adhere to that have collectively been agreed to, or continuing down the path that we are on currently, have essentially no rules, keep them as scholarship athletes instead of employees, and let them earn. Um, whatever they want. The question then that you have to ask yourself is which one of those scenarios causes the most harm? Well, and here's the other thing too, I'd say. If it decides to go down the path of, hey, they become employees, Mm -hmm. if you don't think there's not going to be a trickle-down counter to that causing other issues, Mm -hmm. you're nuts. Of course there is. You're absolutely crazy because that is going to happen. And And that may actually be worse than the current situation. Yep. And again... People will point to unintended consequences and all of this and that. Well, you know, there's a difference between consequences and unintended consequences. That's right. Unden- consequences, all right, were something that you knew was going to happen because if you had half a brain, you saw it coming. Unintended consequences are something that you had no idea of because it hadn't manifested itself. So when people try to talk about NIL right now and they try to talk about the transfer portal and unintended consequences, that's a bunch of baloney. If you couldn't have seen when this thing was getting talked about and thrown out there, if you couldn't have seen what was coming, you had to have been brain dead. You had to have been. It was, you could see it from a mile away, you know? And so I think the ignorance sometimes about 
unintended consequences comes from just that ignorance. Well, that comes from Mark Emmert being sound asleep, yeah. taking a really long three-year nap yep. when he should have gotten in front of it. Yeah. Uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Quick break. Yeah. we come back. Guests are coming up. It starts with Duke football. Kevin Johns, he's in charge of the offense, quarterbacks, all that cool stuff. We'll get into that, see what's going on with the Dukies. And that's coming up next. Kevin Johns joins Tom Luganville, Mark Packer. It's Packer and Durham right here on the ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Uh, Packer and Durham. Numbers 844-SAY-ACCN. Power hours upon us. Kevin Johns is the offensive coordinator at Duke. Of course, Mike Elko takes over at the Wallace Wade Outdoor Stadium. We'll see what's going on with Kevin and get Coach on here. And there's a lot to talk about with Duke for 22 season. All right, Kevin Johns joins us. Coach, first of all, good morning. How are we doing? Doing great. Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you having me on here and excited to visit with you. Well, we're excited too. And I know that you got to be pumped. I mean, this is really a uh, interesting opportunity. You had great success at Memphis and you walk in, Mike Elka, the new sheriff in town. Uh, what was your first initial reaction when you saw what you inherited at Duke? Well, very excited. I, I think there's, there are a lot of weapons here and, and a lot of kids that have played football before um, for Duke. And so uh, I'm excited. I think we're going to be a little bit young at quarterback, uh, but young and, and we have two very athletic kids that I think can make some plays. So uh, excited about our offensive line, uh, our, our, weapon, our, our skill weapons that we have and, and excited to put it all together. Coach, obviously when you, you take on a new job, a new environment, new conference, and you're trying to recruit and get through the winter conditioning program and spring football, uh, for those listening and watching, what are the primary objectives as a first-year coordinator, that 15 days of spring practice? What exactly are you trying to accomplish with your offense? Yeah, no doubt. What a great question because, you know, you feel like there's so many things at one time that you're trying to do. And so, really, I really just wanted to install just the base foundation of our offense and just make sure we could we could handle Chapter 1 before we try to go to Chapter 2. And, and so, really, you take every single practice during spring ball – and just try to build on it. You try to install a little bit new every day, uh, understanding that we're not going to necessarily um, have everything down pat perfectly by the time spring ball ends, but you're just trying to put in the foundation so that now we get to this point, uh, which is our summer calendar, and then we get a chance to go back and do it again and, and reteach those concepts. Um, and so we'll be a little bit more comfortable with them. And then by the time uh, August practices start, you'd, you'd like to think that the kids and our comfort and our confidence level has, has uh, risen a bunch and, and that we're ready to play at a high level by the time the season gets here. Kevin, what was the uh, competition like at quarterback in the spring? It was great um, and it was very intense. And, and, and I think that, you know, we, we tried to take every other day and just rotate quarterbacks, right? And so they each had their day and, um, and, and their chance to compete in scrimmages. We tried to give them each equal amount of reps with the ones. Um, and so, you know, eventually we're going to have to make a decision and, and find a way to, to put the best guy out there. Um, and there might be situations where we put them both on the field. But, um, you know, this competition is ongoing. We're going to do it through the summer. We're going to do it through fall camp. And then kind of see where things go as we start playing games. Do you get a sense that uh, one may have an advantage, or is this really an equal heat heading into July? I really think it's an equal heat. I really think that they both have uh, certain things that they do well, certain things that they need to improve upon. And, and really for us, it's interesting because you have to pick – uh, you know, which strength is the one that maybe we need the most. Um, 
and, and that can lead our team. And I, again, I really can see a situation where we play them both. Um, I just think that they're both really they're, they're, they're two of our hardest working kids that we have on our team. They're two of our best leaders. We're going to want them on the field one way or the other. So uh, it just becomes a challenge of figuring out how to do that. You know, you, you go uh, as an assistant coach, as a coordinator, you work for somebody like Pat Fitzgerald for a number of years, a well-established head coach, uh, has done it the right way, has won a lot of games, a lot of similarities academically, and some of the things that you're accustomed to. Now you get hired on by Coach Elko, a first-year head coach. Uh, what type of conduit can you be between some of the experiences you've had in a similar type of scenario as, as far as the university to helping Coach Elko, you know, navigate the waters as a first-year head coach? Yeah, I, great question. I, there are a lot of similarities. And, you know, I was there at Northwestern really when Randy Walker first took over in 1999 when really Northwestern wasn't very good. You know, yeah. we, we were still trying to build that program. And in the year 2000, we were able to win the Big Ten championship and uh, tried to sustain that, that success for a while. And, and so really more than anything else, I tried to tell Coach Elko, hey, listen, Northwestern wasn't very good uh, a long time ago, right? And they built it the right way, and they recruited their guys, and uh, they improved their facilities. So um, it, it, for us to, to look at that program where they were and where they are now for sure gives us confidence that it can be done and, and it will be done. Um, I think for us, our staff, and for Coach Elko, we want to stick to our standards and who we are and who we want to be and, and just do this thing the right way. Kevin, we've had a chance to interact with Mike Elko a few times, and my initial reaction with him is this guy is a football guy. It just seems like it doesn't matter if you bump into him in the hallway. He's talking ball. He wants to talk ball. I'm curious your relationship with him prior to this job. Did you ever cross paths? How did all this come around? Yeah, really just through playing each other. You know, I, when, when he was at Bowling Green and I was at Indiana, uh, we faced each other one time, and then uh, I, I think maybe the next year when he went to Wake Forest, uh, we played them when I was at Indiana. So, you know, we, we crossed paths that way a couple of times. And, and listen, as football coaches, any time that you go against a defensive coordinator and you realize, like, wow, these guys are really good, you know, they're, schematically they do a great job, they're not going to let you run the ball, it, it just it sticks with you. You remember those names of the guys that do a great job. And, and Coach Elko is, is known throughout this country as being one of the top defensive minds. He's been, had success everywhere that he's been. Um, just absolutely love him to death. And, and really, like you said, more than anything else, he is just a down-to-earth, blue-collar guy, football coach, um, does things the right way. And he's a great dad. He's a great husband. Uh, our players have really responded to him. So uh, I'm just really excited for our future together and, and think we can do some special things. Coach, Pack and I have had quite a bit of discussion here today in regards to the recruiting landscape, the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, and just, you know, how, how college football, college athletics has, has changed so dramatically here in the last, you know, 24 months. From your perspective as a coach, what has been – I think we're getting – I think Coach is getting uh, – Hey, hey Coach, hold on. Coach, this may be a sign of a great thing at Duke. Yeah. When you can do an interview talking about offensive fireworks and there's an <laughs> alarm system That's right. during the interview, this might be a little foreshadowing for Duke football in 22. <laughs> Are you being ushered out of there right now, Coach, before I finish with my question? Not right now. We're kind of hanging tight right now, just trying to see what's going on. But yeah, I think this might be on time first. <laughs> All right. So, so I, what I wanted to do is we're just going to find out if your two-minute offense is worth a damn, Coach. That's what we're going to yeah, find out. That's right. How quick can that's you get right. out of that chair? Find out in the hurry. Get the wires yeah. off. Exactly. Right. Um, but but how how challenge? What have been the challenges 
I should say, um, in recruiting and keeping players on the roster, particularly with quarterbacks, only one football that you've encountered. And what are some of the best ways you've found to, to deal with the changing landscape of college football? No doubt about it. It has completely changed, right? It's, it's a whole different world than, than what it used to be just a couple years ago. Uh, and I think there are all kinds of challenges. Um, and, and one, just with our current roster, like you said, it's, it's hard to keep everybody happy, right? And especially at quarterback, because those guys want to play and you can only play one and, and certainly understand that. Um, I do think there's a lot of merit and benefit for those guys that hang in there and, and stick it through. Um, but yeah, you know, you try to get as many kids involved as you can. Um, and, and listen, as much as we recruit high school kids, we have to recruit our own players uh, because if they're not happy, they're going to move on. Um, I do think that there's some, some merits and, and some, a study that should be done of how many kids actually have left and then um, maybe didn't find a new home, right? Or maybe they think the grass is greener somewhere else and it's really not. But, um, so, yeah, I think that's been interesting. I, I think with recruiting and NIL, it's completely different. Um, I almost do feel like it's a little bit of minor league football now that it's going to be a lot of the haves and haves nots. It's going to be a lot of um, money making decisions, which I don't think is necessarily right. But I do think that's the world that we're that we're going into. All right. It sounds like you're going to have to evacuate the building before <laughs> you do. And, and hopefully I can ask you one more question. Uh, for a guy that comes from Memphis, and I think of Memphis, I think of Elvis, which we're going to talk about later because the movie's out. I also think uh, Great Blues and Rendezvous Ribs. Uh, have you made that transition yet to Eastern Style, North Carolina Barbecue, or Western Style? Because, man, coming from Memphis, brother, I, I know you know about the pig. So uh, how are we doing in that department? <laughs> I, w- I tell you what, Memphis is very serious about their barbecue, about their ribs, and they're very good at it. But uh I would have to say North Carolina is, is very comparable, right? It's, it's, it's a close second, but uh, the food here has been phenomenal. Um, we loved our time in the city of Memphis. Those people are great. A lot of pride in that city, and, and they work hard. Um, but, again, looking forward to this new challenge at Duke and, and bringing the same level of, of achievement here as well. You got it, Coach. Listen, stay safe. We look forward to seeing you this fall. Appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. You got it. There's uh, Kevin Johns, of course, uh, being ushered out of the building as the fire alarm system is going bonkers. <laughs> hey, you never know. <laughs> I mean, you can't laugh at it because I'm just telling you, the second you laugh at it, next thing you go, man, I think I smell smoke. Oh. What, what am I doing here? Let's get out of here. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the, the COVID fall of college football when we were all trying to do everything we could from a remote space. And you'd have people's house alarms going off. You'd have car alarms going off in the parking lot. You're broadcasting a, a, a live match. I, I can tell a real quick story. Um, years ago on SiriusXM, uh, I was co-hosting a show with Eddie George. And our shows were being produced out of Washington, D.C. And in Washington, D.C., during the show, the fire alarm goes off just like that. Well, the producer... Yells in my ear, hey, Pac, the fire alarm's going off. I said, yeah, no problem. You know, like, I, I, I can tell I, I got it. I understand. We're going to get out of here. I said, okay. Just tell me when, we can, when we're back on the air. I got you. Because I'm down here in North Carolina. We yeah. weren't in D.C. Yeah. Well, he, ne- he never comes back on. He never tells us that we're on the air. So Eddie and I are talking about, Eddie's talking about the NFL, and he's ripping some players. So what, I mean, we're talking about you know, all kinds of nonsense. But you don't even know if you're on air? We don't even know if we're on the air. <laughs> problem was, 
We go for about 20 minutes, and uh, we were on the air. <laughs> Nobody ever told us that we were off the air. You know, are you on the air, off the air? I don't know. They'll let us know when we're live, back on. Live broadcasting. Yeah, I love live television, oh, live radio. Man. There's nothing quite like it. By the way, it. might I point out that during that entire interview, Chester was loving it. He was on his back. Yeah, praying to the gods. Completely out like Dreaming a about Haley Van Lith. Yep. Can't believe they yep. lost to Canada. Duke football. Happens. All right, we're going to make the switch. Uh, we go from Duke to Virginia, all right? Duke's offense to Virginia's defense. John Rodzinski going to join us next to break down the who's. All that coming up next. Packer and Durham right here on the ACC Network. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Uh, Packer and Durham. It's a Monday. 844-SAY-ACCN. No more fire alarms. We hope everything's calm in Durham. We try to uh, see what's going on up there in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, John Radzinski now joins us, and uh, he's got the defense to deal with. Tony Elliott, the new man in charge. Coach, first of all, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, welcome to the show. I know you're excited to get started. As I reminded you, only 61 days till we kick this bad boy off. It'll be here before you know it. Yeah, Margaret Tom. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me. I know yeah. we're, we're excited to, uh, to get it cranking. It's, uh, you know, I tell you what, Adam Smotherman, our strength coach, has the guys and is doing a heck of a job pushing them. So we're looking forward to uh, being able to do some X's and O's as we get closer. Coach, I'm curious because obviously the, the coaching profession, you can expect to bounce around a lot and, you know, it can be difficult on the family. But you had a 14 year run at one place, which is, is rare. So what prompted you to make the move now? Why Virginia now? Yeah, I think just the, the opportunity, you know, there's a, there's a lot of similarities as far as what uh, Coach Elliott wants to create here at University of Virginia, you know, the opportunity to create a family environment and, frankly, the opportunity to build champion men. And so our, our opportunity is very similar to my previous stop and the opportunity to build great men and, and great future leaders for the communities they're part of. All right, we just had Kevin Johns on, the offensive coordinator at Duke, new head football coach with Mike Elko, and he walked in the room. I asked him to take a, kind of an inventory. I'm going to do the same thing with you. Tony Elliott, new man in charge in Charlottesville. We know him extremely well from his days at Clemson. So you come walking into Charlottesville, you tell me. Well, well give me an inventory of Virginia defensively. Yeah, you know, I think it well, It starts with uh, with Coach Elliott and, and, and his leadership. Um, when you look at who we're going to be defensively, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a culture of accountability. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do a great job of doing the little things uh, really well and playing great team football. Um, you know, I tell you what, I've been really, really impressed with uh, the way these guys have worked and their ability to uh, to be able to adapt and uh, and frankly learn a new system. Um, so I tell you what, I really, really enjoy working with these young men. Um, they go to an unbelievable school. Um, they're challenged in the classroom. And frankly, it shows when they come to us as well is that they, they have great football IQs. And um, it, it's a fun, fun group to coach. I, I think we would all agree if we've followed this game that, you know, football is about blocking and tackling and who has possession of the football. From your position defensively, tackling a big component to it, but also style of play and the approach. What, what can Virginia fans expect to see in terms of what the philosophical identity is going to be for this defense? Yeah, no, I think when you, when you look at it, we've got to have enough complexity from what we do coverage-wise 
um, and front structure to make it difficult on an offense to identify the front. Um, you know, at the, at the same time, what, what we'll do is, um, you know what, we're, we're gonna recruit great young men and then frankly, we're gonna do a great job of developing these guys to put them in a position to, uh, to make some plays. And so, you know, I think when you look at just philosophy wise is, you know, if we can do the little things really, really well um, and that we, we can play as a unit. Um, and frankly, if we can be a football program, we'll win a lot of football games. Coach, you know, when you take a, a snapshot of Virginia last year, it, it was a team offensively that scored a ton, scored in bunches. Uh, didn't seem to have a problem at any point in time when Brendan Armstrong under center. When you are running a defense and you know you have a prolific offense, uh, how does that change your approach if it does at all? No, I, I think, you know, I, for us to, to win football games, we're going to have to play complementary football, um, you know, offense, special teams, and defense are going to have to come together. And, you know, I, I get really, I think, as you look at uh, the opportunity for us, in, even in the spring and then here in fall camp, is to go against such a talented quarterback in Brennan. I mean, it, it tell you what, it stresses us defensively. Um, he can get you into all the checks, and he can, frankly, he can put your defense in some stressful positions. So it'll make us better defensively, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll make that translate as, as we go forward in the season. You know, Coach, you, you use the term player development, and, you know, I'm, I'm always curious. You've been at a place where oftentimes the type of player you're taking is you're having to project and you're having to invest in player development, whereas Coach Elliott's coming from a place where they're going to have a lot of guys that were going to step on campus and, and have the ability level and the maturity to compete right away. What's going to be the approach at, at Virginia, and where can you lend the most help given your expertise of maybe not being at a place that's got a bunch of play right away guys and, and how important the level of development's going to be. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think with, you know, with my previous experience, as you can imagine, the, uh, the portal had one way it was out. Um, <laughs> and you know, here, so it's, it's a little bit different now um, in that, in this environment at the same time, there's a lot of similarities. And, and you look at as far as, you know, it really start, it starts in the weight room and, and then frankly, it's going to start every off season for us going back, identifying who we are personnel wise, and then, and then really, you know, investing in our guys and understanding that to be a good football program for our, for our guys to be really successful, they need to believe that it's okay sometimes to be a significant contributor as a junior or senior. And, uh, and we'll be fortunate this year to have a bunch of those guys that are uh, fifth or sixth year guys that are, are here and, are going to play great football this fall. Coach, I enjoy talking with defensive coordinators in this league, especially for the upcoming season, because you just mentioned the fact that when you go to practice, Brennan Armstrong's on the other side, and he's going to make your defense better. Uh, and I don't mean to give you an extra worry, some uh, op opportunity here, but this league, from a quarterback perspective, is as good as anything I think there is in the country uh, in terms of quality, depth, uh, and almost everybody you go down this roster, I know you haven't worried about this yet, but this league, uh, I think, has the best collection of quarterbacks in the country. I I'm curious to get your take on that. You may not even want to answer that question and go, I'll deal with that when we get to the fall. But man, the good news is you've got one that you see in practice every day. But, man, this league is loaded at quarterback. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. I, I hope my <laughs> wife's not watching. Um, just to, to remind her on, on the challenges I'll face this fall. Um, but, but the reality, frankly, is, is what, uh, when you do go against a really good one that can make all the throws, 
Um, it makes you better defensively. And frankly, what, what it does is it forces us to look at how we can be better schematically. Um, and then also to, to put players in the right position um, where, you know what, if, if you got to defend from sideline to sideline, um, to defend the big ball, and then I also have to stop a really effective running attack, um, which we'll see from, uh, from Des Kitchens and the offensive staff. What would you consider the strength of the defense in the end of June? Now, that could, light, hey, listen, that could very well change by the time we get to the opener. But right now, based on what you've seen, what would, the, what would be the strength on the defensive side? Yeah, no, I think when you look at our strength, our strength is going to um, be, be our opportunity to, to play unit football. Um, you know what? It, is, I think our, after getting out of the spring, the guys really embraced, um, you know, leading – from their work ethic and w when you look at what they've done and, and you know watching these guys r run player-led workouts or go out there on the field and do extra work because it's important to them um, what ends up making the difference and uh, you know we, we got some great leadership that is exemplified through their work ethic and uh, so I think being a unit will we'll, we'll be our advantage and, and frankly I think it's something that being here at the University of Virginia these guys take a bunch of pride in. John, did you have any relationship with Tony Elliott in any shape, way, or form prior to this gig? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it, it really ties back to uh, his experience at the Air Force Academy Prep School. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when he spent a year there, it's, you know, ended up being a network um, there and, and something that probably, um, you know, he kind of believed in the model there at the Air Force Academy to believe in, uh, to believe in me and, and believe in the, the system that we could bring here to Virginia. By the way, uh, we would be remiss if we don't bring up Air Force. Tom and I, before the show today, uh, were talking about movies, and he just saw Top Gun, and I saw it too, and we're going back and forth. <laughs> that experience for you, I mean, the quality uh, of the quote-unquote student-athlete and what it represents, um, how would you describe that to people? Yeah, I, I, you, I think when you just look at it, and I think it's, it's, it's broader than when you look at it, here just at the Air Force Academy or the University of Virginia, but the opportunity for, you know, a young man to be part of this great game and to take so many life lessons um, with you. And, you know, I tell you what, I think we're, we're all at a time right now with, with college football where we're trying to defend the collegiate model. And, you know, there's no place that does that more than, than at a, a service academy, a place like the Air Force Academy that, frankly, is going to develop great leaders that are going to go off and, and serve our, our great nation and um, shoot guys are going to go fly those, those planes um, to defend our skies and, and maintenance officers are going to fix, fix those planes and, and great airmen that are around the country and, frankly, great servicemen that get an opportunity to serve our country. And so, you know, really humbling to be in an awesome environment like that. Um, at the same time, I, you know what, you, when you look here at Virginia, you look at the opportunity for, uh, you know, for guys to, to end up winning in, in all aspects. Um, it's going to be neat to see what we can accomplish, too, for the futures of the young men in our program. You're right about that. You know, I've had uh, a lot of interviews with Jeff Munkin and Coach Ken at Navy and, of course, what you guys went through at, at, at Air Force. And, they always talked about how incredibly awe-inspiring it was to go to work every day, knowing you were surrounded by the, the best and the brightest. And I'm sure you feel very similar to that at the University of Virginia, given the academic stature. Yeah, you know, you just look at that. I've, I've been super impressed. You, you talk about an unbelievable alumni base and the, uh, you know, just the type of young men and, and now, now grown men that come back to the program that want to give back. Um, it's been special to be in an environment where, 
this, that standard is so high, and it's something that uh, is really, really special about being part of the University of Virginia. By the way, do you ever get you up one of those jets when you're out there at Colorado Springs? <laughs> you know what? I tell you what, I was, I was one of the guys that ended up fixing them. I, I, got, I got the opportunity. They tried to rip the wings off of them. They landed on the tarmac, and they'd say, hey, Trivia, hey, Rod, go try to fix this thing. And, uh, and then we'd have to turn those things around, and, and they'd fly them the next day. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I'll tell you what, I, I, got up, I got up in one of those little gliders. Um, I was with a, a gymnast. She was 100 and she's probably less than 100 pounds. And we were doing rolls and spins and, you know, I, I don't even have the correct terms. All my <laughs> alumni brethren are going to be mad that I'm not using the right terms. But anyway, we're, we do that. And I'll tell you what, I've never been so nauseous. We landed and that was the last time I was in an Air Force plane. Yeah, all you, had, all you had to do is say rolls and spins. Yeah. We understood. Were there any G's yeah. in the glider? That's what I want to know. Are there any G's? Oh, yeah. They, they, I'll tell you what. You're pulling G's in the glider. and there yeah, you go. It's, uh, it, tell you what, it's pretty cool. It, it, it's one of those neat programs that you get a chance to do as a, uh, as a cadet athlete there at the Air Force Academy. Yeah, and that G stood for get me out of here is what that stood <laughs> yeah, for. Yeah, to That's say exactly the least. Right. Listen, uh, <laughs> welcome to University of Virginia and the ACC. We look forward to watching you and the boys uh, this fall and appreciate the time this morning. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you for your time. You got it. Take care. Go Hoos. <laughs> Funny Air Force story. Cause I, and I, and forgive me it. if they've moved to field turf in recent years. But they used to what they used to do is because they, they were Air out, Force. Air Force. What they used to do because they'd be outmatched athletically is their grass would be about that tall. Right? That's how it used to be at Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. And they would run their triple option and you'd get some of these teams that, you know, can run and got better athletes and they'd come in there and next thing you know, they're a heck of a lot slower. Water and the, the grass options down. not matter. Well, that's what Wyoming used to do that. Wyoming would flood that would flood that uh, tan field, but uh, yeah, man, you got to do what you got to do. Home to win. field advantage. Exactly. I don't have a problem with any of it. I don't either. I don't either. You got to play to your strengths at all times, <laughs> no matter what it is you do for a living. That's you play it, right? to your strengths. Right. Find a way to win. That's like our deal. Like we're trying to figure out what ours are. <laughs> So we're still trying to figure it out. Years. Yeah, we still haven't figured it out. Uh, quick break. Uh, we are actually going to give you a movie review, believe it or not, because Tom and I have been busy. We didn't know this prior to the show, but no. we found out that we have got some similarities. <laughs> Elvis and Top Gun. All that coming up next. Packer and Durham right here on ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Get ready. July 5th, Boston College, you are on the clock. ACC school takeovers. That's it. Every single day for two weeks, we rotate it, man. Boston College is first up. July 5th, school takeovers. They're going to run the whole thing out of there. They own the entire day. All right. That's how we do it. BC up first. Can you... Can you imagine coming up into broadcasting at a time where wherever you went to school has a direct affiliation with a conference that could get you on-air reps that could get you unbelievable? Unstoppable. 24-7. Yeah, never existed. No. Whoever thought that was going to (laughs) work? We did. (laughs) All right. You and I, uh, unbeknownst to each other until prior to the show. Yeah have uh, actually been to the movies. I and go to the movies too much. That's my getaway. I love them too. Do you go by yourself? I would. 
Yeah, everybody else. I mean, you I go to the movies by yourself. I'm like, well, I can't talk to anybody in there. I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I can eat in a restaurant by myself. Can you do that? Easily. Absolutely, right? You know, it's actually better in some respects. You get elbow room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, back to the movies. I, I would, and I put this on Twitter yesterday. Um, I actually think that the last two that I saw, which was Top Gun, and I saw Elvis over the weekend, yep. were really, really good. I mean, I pleasantly surprised. Again, I, I'm just looking for summertime entertainment. entertainment. I, I don't want to have to do any heavy lifting, right. not necessarily have to deep thought. Both those movies were really good. Are you capable of deep thought? I am. I'd surprise you with some crazy stuff. Oh, no. I don't want to get the, into The that. Elvis movie in particular, and I, I wouldn't tell you that I'm a huge Elvis. I don't hate him. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, I was like, it wasn't really my sweet spot. Right. I, I, know, I know who he is, but I did not know the whole story. Me neither. With Colonel Parker, and I don't know how much of it is Hollywood or not. I got no idea. But as far as being entertained uh, and just thoroughly, because it's kind of a business movie in some respects. Right. right. Um, it was fascinating. Watching that movie. Did and you Tom see, Hanks was incredible. The guy you, that did Elvis was incredible. Did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? I did. Okay. I thought it was kind of similar to that. Maybe Same maybe a little of. more glitzy, a little bit more dolled up because it was Elvis, right? right. right. Um, I was blown away by the performances. Incredible. And for those who aren't aware, Austin Butler, who plays Elvis Presley, is actually singing the songs. Which I did not know until after the movie. Right. And my wife, Amy, told me, I said, God, that's even more impressive. It is. It was Because really- I thought his lip sync was spectacular. <laughs> and obviously it was because it was him singing the songs. I thought, yeah, I thought it was really entertaining. I loved it. Um, I would highly recommend it because that's, I mean... I, that's tough material to pull off, right? How are you going to please everybody? You're talking You're about not. an iconic figure. Um, I don't know about you, but like <laughs> when I went and saw it, it was a packed theater. I bet you 80% of the people were the over the age of 60. Oh, yeah. Right? Probably. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the sweet spot, that's the that's sweet spot. That's the sweet spot, right. And you forgot that he passed away at the age of 42, right? 42. He looked 65. Right. I mean, the, the damage that he did and the damage that... Colonel Tom Parker did. I, I was fascinated by that as you were. I knew who he was. I knew he was affiliated. But I had no idea what he had done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming the story is true. Correct. Again, Assuming I, the story I, is true. I'm just going to base it on the movie, and that's probably a mistake anyhow. But nevertheless, here's the other thing. And let me show you how little I knew about the movie going mm-hmm. into it. I mean, you heard about Tom Cruise and the, the build up of Top Gun and all right. that stuff. Uh, my wife says to me, Amy says, uh, let's go see a movie. I say, I'm in. Whatever you want. You pick. I don't care. Any, anything to just disappear for a couple hours, I'm in. Right. She goes, I want to go see Elvis. Great. Awesome. So we sit in the theater. Comes on. And about 30 minutes into it, Tom Hanks is put on, I don't know, 70 pounds for this movie. It's a fat suit. Or whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. He's been eating barbecue, gelato from Italy, been imported in. I don't care. And it dawned on me, oh my God, it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. At first, because I nudged her, I said, that guy looks like Tom Hanks. And she goes, oh, Mark, it's Tom Hanks. I said, no, it's, I can't be Tom Hanks. And she goes, Psst, shh, it's Tom Hanks. And so, you know, I'm you start studying him, right? Yeah. I'm really watching. I'm like, I'm really dialed in now. The Elvis character is great. But I'm like, like 30 minutes later, I go, Amy, that's freaking Tom Hanks. And, and people around me, Psst, hey, don't cry. And again, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm You're that, that guy. No, I don't mean to be. I, I just happen to be. But it dawned on me, God, I can't believe that's Tom Hanks. And he is fantastic in the movie. I thought the, the part that I enjoyed the most 
was when the the when they first introduced the Elvis phase of opening up at the International in Vegas. That first performance that they go through awesome. is unbelievable. And you're watching this guy and you're going, how did this guy pull this off? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty mesmerizing. And so I ask you, did you like that or Top Gun Maverick better? Uh, I like them both because they're totally different. They are totally different. Now, I will say this about Top Gun. Now, I liked the first one 100 years ago. Sure. Right? And again, any time you go it's through 1986. These, it's a long time ago. Yeah. But man, the effects and the fact that Tom Cruise actually flies those things. Holy mackerel. We just got done talking to Rudd. I mean, hey, have you ever been in one of those yeah. jet fighters? The, the, the effects in that movie are spectacular. Well, not only that, is much of it is not effects. It's actually no. I'm just talking about real. The, right? No, I get that. Right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah I'm just talking yeah. about it. it's so awesome. Where they mounted all of the cameras oh and how they God. were able to get everything, and then you know each and every actor had his own IMAX camera that he could control. He or she could control in the cockpit. I the thing that I knew actually, I think I tweeted about it. I knew five minutes in it was going to be awesome because the the director comes on and he says, "I'm going to get everybody's attention right away." It's the exact same opening as the original film, down to the letter font. And I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. Now, I, I thought it was a little long. I mean, if I'm going to really? be, if I'm going to be critical, really fast. Well, no, and I say that because Elvis was if, long. Oh, Elvis is really long. Yeah. But I was so mesmerized by, hey, that's Tom Hanks. <laughs> hey, y'all know this? Hey, it's Tom Hanks. No. Um, but, uh, but the Chester, Tom, you just got Chester's attention. No, he's in, they, it's 10 o'clock. They're ready to go out. Oh, okay. um, but uh, it was kind of cheesy at yeah. the end, but it needed to be cheesy at the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Talk about Top Gun. Now, you recognize, you, you recognize uh, top, uh, Tom Cruise, right? Yes. He was in Top Gun. Yeah, Tom, he and top changed Gun the whole lot. Yeah, he doesn't age. He does not Guys, age. He's a movie star. I, I don't know what he's doing, but he does yeah, not I age. Don't care. Good for him. Somebody yeah. pay, I mean, hey, listen, I'm all for everybody By getting way, You know the plane at the end that, that he's flying in the, your sappy part? That's his private plane. Oh, of course. Don't we all? Yeah. Have you seen mine? No, I haven't no, seen I it. I haven't either. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, if, if, again, if you're just looking to kill some time yes. after the show, either flick. Either one. Uh, you, you're, for, it's a perfect summertime movie, both of them. But what's the best one in less than 10 seconds? Uh, I would go Top Gun first just because you got to be dedicated for that long okay. for Elvis. Elvis is a long flick. Best summer movie of all time, five seconds. Uh, Jaws. I don't know if I disagree with that. You might be 100% right. I will be. We ain't going down for bluegills and tommy cats either. That's it. We got to get out of here. Folks, he's back tomorrow. So are we, I think. (laughs) Josh. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.